So Tamar is going to read for us, and is that okay? Let her rip. Do you want to restand? Are you okay? Um, okay. So it's First Samuel chapter seventeen, verse one to I think fifty-eight, maybe. <laughs> um, the Philistines drew up their troops for battle. They de- they deployed them at Soka in Judah and set up camp between Soka and Azekah at Ephes Demim. Saul and the Israelites came together, camped at Oak Valley, and spread out their troops in battle readiness for the Philistines. The Philistines were on the one hill, the Israelites on the opposing hill, with the valley between them. A giant nearly ten feet tall stepped out from the Philistine line into the open, Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armour, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence reel. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, why bother using your whole army? I am not Philistine enough for you, and you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. Each morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made his speech. One day, Jesse told David, his son, Take this sack of cracked wheat and these ten loaves of bread and run them down to your brothers in the camp. And take these ten wedges of cheese to the captain of their division. Check in on your brothers to see whether they're getting along all right and let me know how they're doing. David was up at the crack of dawn and having arranged for someone to tend his flock, took the food and was on his way just as Jesse directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the army was moving into the battle formation, shouting the war cry. David left his bundles of food in the care of a sentry, ran to the troops who were deployed and greeted his brothers. While they were talking together, the Philistine champion, Goliath of Gath, stepped out from the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge, David heard him. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, What's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honour? Who does he think he is anyway, this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive? Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. What is it with you, replied David. All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else, asking the same question and got the same answer as before. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. Saul sent for him. Master, said David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced, and he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. 
and I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting the troops of God alive. God, who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear, will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul said, Go, and God help you. Then Saul outfitted David as a soldier, soldier in armour. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armour. David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this, and he took it all off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack, and with his sling in his hand, approached Goliath. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach fuds. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut off your head and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel and everyone gathered there here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword and, or spear. The battle belongs to God. He's handing you to us on a platter. That roused the Philistine and he started toward David. David took off from the front line, running toward the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedded the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. That's how David beat the Philistine, with a sling and a stone. He hit him and killed him. No sword for David. Then the men of Israel and Judah were up on their feet, shouting. They chased the Philistines all the way to the outskirts of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Saul asked him, young man, whose son are you? I'm the son of your servant Jesse, said David, the one who lives in Bethlehem. Thank you. Thanks, Tamar. Yes, because uh, Tamar picked that version herself, so um, I didn't have anything to do with that. So I can't take any credit for his peached face. And what else was in that? Apple cheeks and hey, no sword for you. No sword was used. Huh? Well, today I want to speak quickly and as quick as I can. Time is really gone, but can you bear with me? Maybe can you stand up and give yourself a wee shake? Let's just stand up and give ourselves a wee shake. Turn around and sit back down again. And that means that uh, that'll give me another 20 minutes. The story of David and Goliath. And uh, today I felt that uh, a title was uh, due. And, um, and so today's t title is When We Learn to Live with God on the Battlefield. Or on, sorry, When We Learn to Live with God on the Hillside, We See and Act Differently on the Battlefield. Have you learned to live with God on the Hillside? This is. This is a story that we don't get away from in our house. Once a week, at least, Ethan will say to me, Dad, the story of David and Goliath. So it's not allowed to get away from my thinking. Lila, thanks for so many of those shots that you shared, and some of them probably, hopefully, will tie in. It's a, it's a, it's a story of a young teenager. Hands up, who in the room is a young teenager? Now, there's many in the room who want to be and can remember back to being a young teenager. There's many of us that are still young at heart, isn't there? But there is actually young teenagers living 
breathing in this room today. And, and us older ones are probably further away from the age of David than the younger ones are to getting to the age of David. There's a great injustice happening and God needs someone uh, to step out in the, uh, on the battlefield to break the deadlock, to release hope. Someone not just to say and see, but someone who's willing to act. Someone who's willing to give of themselves in service at the cost of their own life to see the doorway open to change. And there's a couple of things that uh, challenge me within this story. One, I, believe, I don't believe David had any idea in this story, you know, what the changes he was going to make, what the change was going to be, not just where Goliath was concerned, but for the fate of the nation. And I have this question that hangs over me as I read this story over and over again. As we look back across our lives, is this somewhat what our lives should look like? As we take stock of our journey, modern day language would be, what are we going to be remembered for? What will we be remembered in the history books for? David's remembered for this story. And this story is recorded so faith and courage can rise within each one of us. In the Bible, as you read more and more of the Bible, I think as we get closer to God, we, we see that we are called to participate in something greater than our own needs, than our own desires, than our own wants. Just, there's a couple of things again that challenge me in this story, and I've already mentioned it. I don't think David had any idea of what his actions, how his actions would open a doorway to change within the nation. And uh, while it's clear that God was with, the second thing is while it's clear that God was with David on the battlefield, there is no mention of the prophetic voice. There's no mention of the voice of God. There's no mention of him saying, I feel God saying I should do this. He sees fear all around him. He sees a form of injustice all around him. And something within him says, this isn't right. I need to do something. My pages are all mixed up. These pages are here for you. So uh, he, needs to, he needs to do something to try and break the deadlock. And so with his five stones um, and this gift, the skill that he had perfected as a, a shepherd. Tamar, what did you say? Silly sheep, did you? Or you don't remember that's okay in one hand and somehow the knowing that God was with him in the other hand he steps out onto the battlefield he opens the door of his ability and the third thing that challenges me in this story is where did his ability to see things differently when all around him was doom and gloom this one young boy seen things differently he didn't have the access to scripture. He didn't have podcasts. He didn't have books. He didn't have those verses of 
Hebrews 8 and 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? My granny, I, I used to love the language that she used and she would have said this, where did that person become one with God? I miss some of that language, some of that, that, that language that has gone in the past. Where did David learn to become one with God? And so quickly I want to look at some of the characters within this story and do, in doing so, let me do some self-examination or us all do some self-examination together. We have, we, have, uh, we have remarked that today is Remembrance Sunday. The day when we remember those who sacrificially gave, especially those of World War I and World War II. But there is many who continually give, not just, not just where war is concerned, but there's many who give sacrificially of their lives for the betterment of others, for injustice, for the great of others, for the betterment of others. And a huge part of this story is David recounting and remembering the stories of how God had helped him in the past. As we look at these different groups of people, I want to see where I sit. And maybe you could do the same with me this morning. The first group of people is the Philistine army. They were a people who believed everything was about them. Their conversation centered around them. They were, they were, fascinated, they were fascinated about battles and taking territory and owning stuff. They were ruthless to anyone who came up against them. They didn't give the other person a chance. That was what their reputation was. was. That's what they were known for. And it saddens me sometimes when I look at my own life. How do, how do I sometimes give the other person a chance? Is it all about me? Is it all about what I have? Is it all about my conversation? And what I'm interested in. And uh, it saddens me also when I see that represented in the church today. It's about our church and what we're doing. And the ground that we're taking. What will we be remembered for? What we uh, as a people, what will be our reputation? What is your reputation? They had this secret weapon and he was called Goliath. And he was brash and bold. And whenever he ent entered, he wanted his presence to be known. He shouted across the valley with pride. No one dared come up against him. He's what you call narcissistic. He's full of himself. And the writer gives us great detail. And thanks, Tomer, for taking the time to read that. Um, gives us great detail of, of him in this story. The writer wants to tell us what he values, what is important about this Goliath. Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. He has put his confidence in his own ability, his own physical strength and his gift. And, and, and this story is contrasted between a giant and a small boy called David. This small boy writes later on in life, in, like, the, in, like in Psalm 71, he says, From my youth, I have put my confidence in you, O Lord. You are my hope for the future. 
Goliath had the best armor of the day. He was protected from head to toe. And he had the best sword and the best spear. And again, David writes later on in life in verse 27, he says, you are my defense. It's not stuff. It's not external stuff. There's something, there's a change that's happened on the inside of David. And and the final thing is that uh, Goliath had what you called a shield bearer, someone who goes before him. And there was an element of safety in that. And, and again, David writes later on in life, and he says in Psalm 139, you, O Lord, go before me. But you not alone go before me, you go behind me, and you shield me in. You place your hand of blessing upon my life. You are my protection. And as I look at Goliath and read over these Psalms, I can't help my, ask myself the question, at times, where does my confidence come from? Where does my trust come from? Who goes before me? What fuels my faith for the future? The second group of people that uh, I want to talk about is the Israelite army, Saul's army. And in the past, I'm doing a bit of a confession here. I have been a bit harsh on these guys. I've been a bit hard on them. Hard, that's right. These men were trained and experienced. They wore the armor with pride. These men had seen God move on their their behalf before. They marched faithfully every day to those battle lines. 40 days, day after day after day. But guess what? We missed, I missed a little detail in here. And they sang the war songs. And I felt that song, that second song that Paul uh, led us in today was kind of like one of those songs. He's our strength. He's our source. When it came to the crunch and when it came to that moment, we read when Goliath came out, they were frozen with fear. The whole community was frozen gripped and paralyzed with fear. Fear is a real emotion. I've spoken about that before. It's not something that you can push under the carpet and think it'll go away. And fear, the other thing that I have discovered about fear, fear travels quickly. Fear travels very quick throughout a group, throughout a nation. You only have to listen to a snippet of news and it will travel like wildflower. I I work in the business world, um, not, I don't say that with any sort of pride, but a couple of years ago, Brexit was looming. And we seen within the business world, within the agricultural world, um, within our communities, we seen it, 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 It unleashed fear within people. And so much so that people were frozen, paralyzed. They couldn't make a decision forward until they saw how this was going to pan out. Nearly two years ago, COVID was introduced globally. And the fear that that brought into our homes 
And then we listened over the last couple of, of weeks about climate change and COP26 and the conference and what's going on. And, and some, of that, some of that news was so alarming to some people, it instilled fear within them. Maybe you just listen to our news and think about the bus drivers of those buses and how that situation how would you react in that situation? And how that would filter back into your home and maybe that community and thinking, is this all going to start and kick off again? Maybe for you, it's a health issue that you have. And the fear and the uncertainty of that um, can sometimes cause you to be gripped by fear. The difficulty's real, real, there's no sign of an answer. But day after day, guess what? Those soldiers faithfully turned up. They faithfully turned up and they sang the battle songs. They sang the songs of Israel. And I suppose the question I have is, when I don't see the answer, when I don't know what's around the corner, when uncertainty is all around me, when when I'm unsure, will I faithfully turn up? Will I faithfully sing the battle songs? Will I continue to do that in the hope that one day change is coming? David's family is another group of people. His dad, Jesse, is so proud because his three eldest sons, you can just see Jesse's chest stick out, not this Jesse. But Jesse's chest stick out. I'm a lowly sheep farmer and I got three boys into the army. What an achievement. And guess what? They're not just in the army. They're serving on the front lines. They're up there. They're doing their job. They're getting on well. And yet we see when David converses with these three boys that there is a lot of stuff underneath the surface. There's a lot of stuff going on deep down inside. And sometimes it takes a bit of pressure. It takes a bit of pressure for us to see what's really inside us. There's jealousy and there's pride. They're full of self-importance. They cannot believe the conversations that David is having with the other soldiers around him. Who do you think you are coming from the hillside? And engaging in conversations and stirring some form of hope. And then we have Saul, the king. I feel sorry for this guy. He's, he's there. He's sitting in his tent probably day after day wondering how on earth is going to work out. The fate of the nation of Israel is, is balances on this battle. Only a couple of chapters earlier, Saul has saw God move in a mighty way in battle. And it would just been lovely within the story to hear that Saul was in his tent and he was inquiring of God. It would have just been so nice to hear that. But we don't. We don't hear anything of that. Maybe he's disappointed because Samuel the prophet has left. Where is the voice of God in this trial? 
Ever felt that you've been there? 40 long days, and it's probably brought him to a place where he's never been before. You know, there's nothing like a trial, and I'm not promoting trials or difficulties, but there's nothing like a trial to slow this down and speed this up. He's listening like he's never listened before. He's searching like he's never searched before. Forty long days. And all of a sudden, a whisper. And that's where I was glad to hear you kick off, Lila. There was a whisper. A whisper came from way down in the battlefield. There's a whisper. There's a boy. He's young. He's maybe... 14 or 15. He's not too old and he's talking in a different way. Saul says, bring him to me. Who is this boy? Bring him to me. And Saul doesn't recognize him. But this boy has been with Saul before. Because he's been called from the hillside before. We read in the previous chapter. When when Saul is tormented in his mind. There is a boy that is called to play in his presence. He's a shepherd's son. He takes care of sheep. And so he comes before Saul and Saul says to him, how can you do this? This Goliath is great. And in my opinion, you are not able. And so David remembers and recounts the stories of what's happened and what he has learned and experienced on the countryside as he faithfully takes care of those silly old sheep. Now I can call them silly old sheep because I used to take care of sheep. So I think I have a license. Are you happy enough, Wendy? Because agriculture's... <laughs> and in verse 37, verse 37, Saul the king, the mighty man, is standing there in front of this small shepherd boy. And it's as if the coin can flick either ways for Saul. And he says, you've just about convinced me. Go and do it. And may the Lord go with you. And then he lifts his armor and he says, here, wear my armor. And there's a whole message and a story and something else to be preached in that. But but David says, I know it's a great honor for some to wear your armor. I know it would be. But guess what? I'm not trained in it. I have no idea how to wear that. Do you ever think of what the conversations was as David walked from the tent, which was probably on the hillside far away from the battlefield, and as he walked down the side of the hill and into the valley? Do you ever think about this unqualified, unprotected, untrained, no armor bearer? Has he really thought this through? Is David mad? 
And finally, there's David within this story. He's a young teenage boy, as I have said before. And I wish, as a young teenage boy, many people had have sat me down and said, here's some of the qualities you should aim for. Here's some of the things to go after. Don't go after possessions. Don't go after stuff. Let your heart yearn for God. Build your confidence. Build your hope in him. Give all you've got for him. And obediently he comes from the hillside and goes as his father has asked him. He is chosen by his father. He's trustworthy. Are you trustworthy? Will you obediently go? Because he had those four other brothers his dad could have chosen that day. But he chose David. He saw something different in this young life. And obediently he goes. He's trustworthy in doing and he's trustworthy in bringing the news of what's going on. And he heads to the, the battlefield. He heads to his brothers and he just doesn't dump the food off and run back home and say, Dad, they're in a deadlock. Doesn't look good down there, Dad. We read that he runs to the battle lines. He runs right to the front places where his brothers are. And he starts to question what's going on. He wants to fully fulfill the wishes of his father. He stops, he takes notice, he asks questions. He observes the deadlock and, and something within him, something within him sees that this is not right. This is not right and something needs to happen. I don't know whether any of you listen to uh, a lot of the, ch the talks in, in COP26 and the, the, the climate change. But some of the news that came across on that stuff, when you hear it and you hear what's going on, it can be very alarming. It can be like, oh, this, this is too big. This is too big for change to happen. But I have loved some of the voices that spoke on, on, on behalf of those who have probably the most to live. And, and most of those voices, not them all, but a good majority of them have been young voices. Where they have, they have, they have peppered their talks with hope and said change is possible. It's within our grasp. And so this young boy who's been ridiculed and disowned by his brothers and misunderstood saw an opportunity for, for the... For and so he takes what he has learned on the hillside. He takes what he's learned on the hillside. And a hillside usually is a lonely place. I could... I could probably elaborate a lot more on that but there's something within us that we despise those hillside moments we don't like to feel alone we don't like to be set aside but it was the place where he became one with God the place he learned 
to see things differently. Three times David is called from the hillside. This is the third. The first one, he's called from the hillside to be anointed as king. Jesse, have you got any more sons? Well, I've got this one. He lives on the hillside. Bring him to me. He's the one to be anointed as king. When the king's officials needed someone because the the king was tormented in his mind, they said, we have heard rumors. We have heard whispers. There's a boy who lives, he's a son of a farmer, out in the countryside, but he lives on the mountainside or the hillside And this is what they said about him. This whisper has reached the palace. He's brave. He speaks well. And the Lord is with him. The prayer I have over my children. That they would speak well. That they would be brave. And that the Lord would be with them. And maybe that's a prayer that we could all have for each other. What a reputation to have. And he doesn't dress in the king's armor, but reminds himself who's been with him before, who's with him in the present, and who gives him courage for the future. And so he stands on the battlefield. And this is a beautiful picture of partnership in verse um, 45, where he stands in front of Goliath. And let me paraphrase this. David says to Goliath, you come, you come with what you have put your confidence in. Goliath, I can see all your stuff. I can see where your focus is. And I don't have any of that stuff. I have none of it. But I'm coming to you in where my confidence comes from. See the difference? Where does your confidence come from? And David kills the giant. And oftentimes we end the story there, and I promise you I'm near finished. We end the story there, but that was the start of the story. He opened a doorway. Those soldiers who were locked in fear Courage riz within them. As they stood to attention and saw what happened that day on the battlefield, all of a sudden, the soldiers stood up. Remember I told you, fear is contagious. Guess what else is contagious? Courage. Courage. And you're standing up or standing out on the battlefield could be the courage the person beside you needs. He unlocked courage. And they, the army stood and charged after the enemy. And a great victory was won that day. I flick between all these characters. 
I'm going to be vulnerable enough. If you live with me or you work with me, you will see at times I flick between all these characters, unfortunately. But I do know one thing. I do know one thing about myself is this. I have this point where I want to gravitate back to. I want to have a heart that chases after God. I want to be like David. I want to do great things like David did. I want to open the door for change within the nation. My heart longs for it. And I feel just today as I finish off here that, that, that God wants to stir faith and courage. Maybe you're involved or you give yourself to something and the task is way too big and you think, how can my little bit unlock the fate of a nation? How can my little bit make a difference? And in this story, we see it does. You wrestle with your have and your have-nots. You wrestle with your confidence and and so I just feel that God would this story would remind us to remember where our confidence comes from keep remembering where it comes from it's not ourselves it reminds us to be faithful to be obedient and to be diligent It reminds us not to despise the hillside seasons in life. Guess what? Guess what my experience is? Those hillside experiences in life, when you get to the battlefield, you're going to need them. You're going to need them. Keep your eyes and ears open. Offer what's in your hand to God, and he's with you as you step forward. Isaiah 49, finish with this verse, says those who put their trust, their confidence, their hope, all that they have in you, O Lord, will never be put to shame. Let's be a people of courage. Paul's going to come and sing. And... um, as we be a people of courage, let the whisper, let the whisper of who we are and what we represent and where our confidence comes from be the whisper that's whispered among high places. Thanks.